Good morning. My name is David White. I'm the associate pastor here. If you are visiting, we're so glad that you've joined us. I hope you'll stick around and have coffee after the service. Please turn, if you would, to page 222 in the Pew Bible. We're going to be looking at Ruth 2 today. It's a long section, so it'll be helpful if you can, can follow along. And as I've been doing with this series, uh, we have, I have a story for you. But, but today's passage talks about love in action and what it looks like for, for love to transform. So I've been opening uh, each of these sermons with a different dating scenario from my single again years after my first wife passed away. Um, so this one, I was speaking at a church and I had a young woman come up to me after the service. This is a conversation that would forever change my life. It's a little foreshadowing for you. So this young woman came up to me and I thought, here we go again. See, that never happened when I was a married man. Um, but I was single, this young woman comes up. But this was a completely different conversation. She said, you know, the whole time while you were teaching, I was thinking about my friend. I think you guys would be perfect for each other. <laughs> She's a counseling student at Westminster Seminary. You guys are, you know, kind of similar level in terms of attractiveness. I wasn't sure how to take that. <laughs> and you guys, you'll have, you know, you have a lot of very similar convictions from how you were talking. I think you guys would be perfect for each other. So I was at an Assemblies of God church, and I'm really delighted that this young woman listened to the Holy Spirit. Uh, so as a Presbyterian pastor, I found my, my wife through a, an event of special revelation. All oh, the Pentecostals clapped. So this was Jen's good friend, Aaron, who um, stands out for us that, you know, this act that was very bold, and, and she was not thinking of herself. She was thinking of her friend and seeking to bless both of us. Um, so... What we're going to talk about in today's passage is how love does that. Love moves us outside of ourselves toward other people. If you're here today and you're investigating the Christian faith, I'm really glad that you, you've come to join us for worship. And it's, it's very common in our culture to talk about, you know, love is the answer. Love is all you need, right? And the reality, there is some truth in this. But it really matters how you define love. Because in our culture, love is, is a feeling often for people. And particularly, it's how you make me feel. And, and the Bible's definition of love is completely different. The Bible sees love as an action, moving out towards another. And particularly, we're going to talk about the idea that, that comes from a Hebrew word, hesed. And, and that Hebrew word is, is translated different ways in, in the scripture, but it, it's kindness, mercy, loving kindness, or steadfast love. It's the idea of love that flows from a commitment. And so it's particularly God's covenant love. God made promises to his people and bound himself to his people independent of anything they were doing. It was because it was his initiative, his moving toward to bless them. 
And of course, the most profound expression of that in Scripture is, is Jesus coming, God incarnate, coming to earth for our salvation. Um, so as we go through today's passage here, I want you to have your eyes open to ways love is on the move. So please join me in reading Ruth 2. This is page 222 in the Pew Bible. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. Then she rose to glean. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her approach even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw, saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, 
Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you should go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to walk through this passage and look at seven ways that Hesed is at work. It takes initiative, it speaks blessing, pays attention, protects, breaks barriers, serves, and finally changes hearts. And I want all of us to be challenged by what it means to love well. But overall, I want you to see that that Jesus is the perfect demonstration of this, that all the ways we are called to show has said, he has done for us. And it's really in relationship with him that we are then able to move towards others. So to begin, Hesed takes initiative. When we are faced with challenge in our relationships, we can either move towards, move against, or move away. And those last two are pretty common. We talk about fight or flight responses, right? That's innate to us. But what God wants us to do is to move towards and empowers us to do that. That takes a work of grace. That is what, not what is natural to us. So last week's passage ended with, with Naomi in a very embittered state, and yet it had a word of hope. If you look at the end of chapter 1, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth gets up early in the morning to go out to the field. You'll, you'll have noticed that the, the foreman said that she came in verse 7. She came, she started from early morning. So she had to wake up, obviously earlier than that. She had to leave, go outside the city of Bethlehem to the surrounding fields and find this, this, this field where she gleaned. So she was up very early in the morning. Um, she took initiative to go out and do that. And this might be a little bit confusing, so you need to understand culturally what's going on here. There was um, a law in, in the, the Hebrew scriptures about how to care for the poor. So this is from Leviticus 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall not strip your, vine, your, your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So this is a, this is a painting by a, a French painter from the 19th century. So this is, this is not ancient Israel. But it's getting at the same idea. If, if you see in the painting, there are heaps of grain that have been gathered and put aside that the workers have done. And the poor were allowed to go among what had been dropped on the ground and pick that up. And so that's what Ruth is doing. And, and in, in the, the, the law, it even says, you know, don't, don't um, reap all the way to the edge of the field. You've got to leave a margin around the edge of your field. So on one level, this was, a, this was a merciful provision to the poor and to the sojourners, people that didn't own anything. You know, this was not a, just a handout. You had to go work in order to eat, right? There's all kinds of ways that our welfare system is broken. This was very different than that. This was people needing to go out and work in order to receive. At the same time, it forced landowners 
to limit their profit taking. Don't take as much as you can. You need to leave some for people. You need to be willing to help out the poor and the needy who are in your midst. Um, and so Ruth has confidence in this. She says in verse 2, uh, let me go out to, to glean after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Um, she is confident. We talked about this last week. She has, she has committed herself to Yahweh, to the God of Israel, and she is utterly confident. I'm going to find favor in someone's eyes when I go out there today. Um, he knows, she knows that God is in control, and, and Boaz affirms that, right? You've come under his wings for refuge. So we looked at last week how, how God is sovereign over all of this, and we see this again in our passage. Um, it says that in, in verse 3, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. In the Hebrew, it says, um, by chance she chanced. It's, it's kind of saying, um, look at how this happened. It's, it's hyperbolically setting up... Um, this was an accident, not really. Right? It's, it's the narratives, uh, very firmly tongue, you know, planted in cheek. There's no such thing as chance in this narrative. And, and so this is a blatant use of irony. The, the narrator wants you to see that, that God is leading her to this field. So Ruth takes initiative. Boaz similarly takes initiative and moves towards her. We'll talk about that more in a moment. And like Ruth... His initiative comes because of his relationship with God, as we'll see. Uh, and I just want to say at this point, you need to see this, that God takes initiative with us. Uh, one of the, the, the most popular verses in the Bible is, is John 3.16. I've included 16 and 17 on the screen here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The hope of the Christian faith is that God takes the initiative, that God moves towards us. Um, I love the end of Psalm 23. It says, Surely God's goodness and hesed will pursue you all the days of your life. Um, and, and again, if you are here investigating the Christian faith, this is so important because Christianity is the only faith that has a God who takes initiative. Every other system of religion, every other faith is saying, how do you as a man, as humanity, reach the divine? Maybe it's through mysticism, some kind of mystical experience. Uh, in most cases, it's through some kind of, of moral order. I've got to get myself right. I've got to fix myself in order to reach him. Christianity is the only one who's saying, you know what, you actually can't do that. Just give up now. It's not going to work. But I will move towards you. And in taking the initiative with you, moving towards you, I will transform you to be able to live the way I would call you to live. We'll, we'll get to that at the end of the sermon. But I want to ask you, 
Who is God calling you to take initiative with in your life? Are you listening? What ways are you prone to be passive in relationship? To not pursue? In what ways are you too self-absorbed? That you're not seeing the people around you to even move towards. Um, If you are a follower of Jesus, he calls you to move towards people, uh, especially when it's hard. So Hesed takes initiative. Hesed also speaks blessing. So you'll notice that when, when Boaz shows up on the scene, the first words out of his mouth are words of blessing. The Lord be with you. The, Lord is the, first, the Lord's name is the first thing on his lips. Um, and then obviously his workers respond in kind. The Lord bless you. It's, it's significant. At this season in Israel's history, we talked about this two weeks ago, the, the, the book begins telling us this is the time of the judges. The judges was an incredibly chaotic season in Israel's history. The, the final line of the book, there is no king in the land. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Uh, there's all kinds of atrocities that happen at the end of the book of Judges. This was a lawless time. This was a dangerous time. It's significant in that context that we have a landowner who is speaking the name of the Lord with workers that are referring, uh, responding back in the same way, um, that he is running a crew that's full of faith. And then he speaks words of blessing over Ruth. And we'll get into them more in a moment. But what I want to focus on right now is, is her response to his words of blessing. Look at verse 10. She fell on her face bowing to the ground. I think it's easy for us, particularly I know many of you are very familiar with the book of Ruth. It's easy for us to see Ruth as kind of a stoic character. You know, she's unwavering in her faith. She's got a stiff upper lip. Um, It wasn't a huge deal for her to leave her people and go to Israel. I mean, of course, it was the right thing to do. I think her response to Boaz shows you how challenging it was for her to take these steps of obedience. Um, the challenge that it was for her to leave her people. How, how desperately she was longing to hear words of blessing. To be acknowledged and welcomed. Three times in our passage, twice the narrator at the beginning and the end, and, and the foreman in the middle, refer to her as the Moabite. Her ethnicity is preceding her everywhere she goes. And look at what Boaz says. My daughter. My daughter. You have a place here. You are welcomed in to this clan. You're a member. You need to see this. For hurting people, Speaking words of blessing is incredibly life-giving to them. Uh, And this is what God speaks over you. God speaks blessings over us. I love this this passage from, uh, I'm just going to pull kind of bits and pieces from Isaiah 43. It says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Listen to this. I've called you by name, you are mine. 
He goes on, you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Everyone who is called by my name, think about this, the creator of the universe, whom I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Um, quick context here. He's, he's speaking to people saying, I'm going to be with you and present as you go through all kinds of horrible storms in your life and written to Israel at a time of rebellion when they are in exile. They have been disobedient to him. He's saying, I'm going to bring you back because I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. I love you. You're precious to me. I actually created you for my glory. Um, and we see this profoundly in, in the image of, of Jesus in the Gospels speaking tenderly to hurting and marginalized people. So I want to ask you, who, who in your life needs words of blessing spoken over them? Are you willing to affirm and encourage? Are you actively seeking to do that? Um, let me put us as parents for a moment uh, on the chopping block. Do you have eyes wide open to everything your kids are doing right? Or are you just seeing kind of everything they're doing wrong and making sure you point out where they're stepping out of line? Um, spouses. Are you making sure your spouse knows when they keep doing that pet peevey thing again? Or do you have your eyes open to the blessing that they are in your life? Um, with your coworkers, are you looking for every opportunity to affirm, to see what people are doing well and to bless them? Or do you only have eyes to see where they're not pulling their own weight, where they're causing you trouble, where they're giving you more work? Are you blessing and affirming them? Paul Tripp puts it like this, you can either be on a sin hunt or a grace hunt. You can either be looking hard for, where's everybody, where are people out of line, and particularly, how is it making my life uncomfortable and unpleasant? Or, where might God be at work? What do I need to see to affirm and bless and encourage in where God is at work? Hesed pays attention. Um, as soon as Boaz shows up, he spots Ruth. He sees this needy person. Um, he's tuned into that. And some people can comment, you know, hey, well, he was probably attracted to her. Um, there might be some truth to this. We're actually going to look at next week. I think there probably was some truth to it. He's, he's surprised that she hasn't responded. There's an anticipation that there would be young male suitors for her. We'll look at next week. Um, so there's probably some level of attraction, but it's, it's deeper than that. It is, it is care for her needs. He sees this needy person and responds to that. Um, he has attention for someone who is in desperate straits. Uh, and as we'll see next week, his, his care right now is ultimately for her welfare. He wants to provide, as he does, as we, as we read in the passage, um, but even next week, when, when they start talking about marriage, 
he's quick to say, you know what, there's actually somebody closer to me that could marry you. I need to take a back seat. So that was not the driving force. Um, he sees a marginalized person and he wants to help her. And, and this is profoundly who Jesus is. And you see it all over the place in the Gospels, that as Jesus was walking this earth, his eyes were wide open to all the needs around him and responding to it. He was welcoming the little children. He touched lepers, these despised people in society that had to stay far off and call out unclean. He went to them and touched them. He saw the blind people. I love this passage from Matthew 9 that I think captures this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's been a long time since we went through the gospel of Mark a couple years ago. But you might remember back then, in the early days of his ministry, Mark tells us Jesus was, was so inundated by needs that he didn't even have time to eat. Because people were around him constantly, pressing in on him. He had compassion on them because they were helpless and harassed, sheep without a shepherd. So are you paying attention? Do you see the needs of the people around you? Who are you prone to disregard or to overlook? Are you noticing the Ruths that are on the margins of society? Um, and are you willing to move towards them in love or take a safer approach, more sanitized approach when it comes to dealing with difficult, needy people? Hesed pays attention. Hesed also protects. And so Ruth is an extremely vulnerable person. You'll have seen in, in uh, verse 9 that, that Boaz tells her, hey, I've told the young men not to touch you. Apparently, they needed to be told that. And, and at the end, uh, Naomi tells her in verse 22, yes, yeah, stay in that field because if you go somewhere else, you might get assaulted. This was a lawless time in Israel. In fact, I won't go through the details. I'll just point you to Judges 19 has one of the most horrific examples of what could happen to a woman in that society. It is awful. She was an extremely vulnerable person. And Boaz says, this is a woman that needs protection and care. And so I think, uh, I, I warned our first week that there's things in the Old Testament that can kind of rankle us as 21st century Americans. And this is one of them. He says in verse 5, whose young woman is this? And we hear that as, who does she belong to, right? Whose property is she? That's not what he's saying. We have a very individualistic view of, of people, of, of, of society, right? Um, Boaz is asking, what clan does she belong to? Under whose care and protection is she? Because she's a vulnerable person out here. He's saying, who's responsible to care and protect this woman? And the answer, of course, is no one. 
There's no one who's responsible. So immediately, Boaz intervenes to provide care and protection. So I mentioned that the gleaning laws, you know, it's significant. If you look back at chapter 1, we found out in in verse 1 that there was a famine in the land. That's why they went to to Moab. We find out then in in, uh, verse verse 4, rather, that they lived in Moab for about 10 years. So holding that together, there has been a 10-year famine in the land of Canaan. Verse 6, it said, God visited his people and given them food. Food has finally returned. After 10 years, food has returned. If there was ever a time that a landowner might say, hey, we can probably not worry about those gleaning laws this year. I want you to glean, I want you to, to harvest all the way to the edge of this field. It would have been this year. We haven't had a harvest for 10 years, at least not a good one. But instead, they are committed to doing this. It's clear when Boaz asks who it is, he had already instructed the foreman, make sure you follow those laws, because the foreman had allowed her to begin gleaning. Um, and, and of course, Boaz even goes beyond that, and he's saying, hey, I want you to pull stalks out of these sheaves and, and make sure you leave them. He's more concerned to protect and provide than his bottom line. And, and you need to see this, that, that Jesus is the ultimate protector for us. That the greatest enemies we face are, are sin and death. I like how Romans 5, 8 puts it, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like Naomi, who took things into her own hand, and, and Elimelech, who went to Moab to try to solve their problems in rebellion, we talked about a couple weeks ago, we all are the cause for the problems of sin and death that we face. And Jesus, as the protector, came to deliver us from these things by standing in front and taking it himself. That's what Jake was talking about with the call to worship of the sprinkling of this, the mercy seat. That was looking forward to what Jesus was going to eventually do in freeing us from sin and death, that he was putting his own life on the line for us. Um, The reality is that self-protection is a result of the fall. It's not how God's calling us to live, but followers of Jesus have grace in him to live differently. He, he wants to enable us to mature here, to become people who move towards others in a way that is costly rather than self-protective, who cares about protecting the vulnerable instead of just my bottom line. Um, this might be a little challenging for us, but, but who is it that God might call you to be caring for? So for some of you students, It could be that kid in class that nobody ever wants to be seen with. Moving towards them to have lunch with them, to hang out at recess. Um, Being willing to put yourself out.
to codify racial or ethnic separation, but protect his people spiritually. And so, Boaz, knowing that Ruth has thrown in her lot with Yahweh, says, come and drink from the cup. And also, come and join us for this meal. So he invites her to join them at mealtime. And, and, and this is important. He's raising her socioeconomic status. When she greets him, there's multiple words in Hebrew that can reply, uh, apply to servant. When she says um, that she's not his servant, she uses the lowest form of female servant. He's lifting her up saying, no, 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 no. You are, you are one of us. Come join us and sit with us. He's bringing her alongside and he's humbling himself. And, and you need to realize this, that that is, that is what Christianity is about. Christianity was blowing people's minds in the first century because of how it tore down barriers between peoples. Jesus lifts up. He's exalted all of humanity to the same level. And so you see verses like Galatians 3. There is no Jew nor Greek. There's no, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The Gospel eradicates racial and ethnic disparities. It eradicates socioeconomic disparities. It eradicates gender disparities. Jesus is exalting all of his followers to the same plane. In fact, uh, Rick's plan when he gets back from from uh, Canada is going to be to preach three weeks in August on, on the high priestly prayer from John 17. One of the things Jesus says in that high priestly prayer is that we are lifted up to be in fellowship with the Father and the Son through the Spirit. Um, that he, he exalts all of his followers to the same plane. Uh, so Jesus is committed to breaking down these barriers and we need to be committed to breaking them down too. So, where are you struggling with the world's systems, buying into the world's systems of separation along racial lines or socioeconomic lines? Um, can I be direct? I think that's a big challenge for us in this community. I think it's a big challenge. Are we willing to, to cross socioeconomic lines in our friendships, in our relationships. This is one of the reasons why um, community groups are so important. To get people together outside of the church for fellowship with one another. Um, God brings people together in the church from all kinds of different backgrounds because the gospel as we looked at in Ephesians a number of weeks ago, is about tearing down the dividing walls between humanity. So the gospel is breaking barriers. Hesed breaks barriers. He calls us to be a part of that. Hesed also serves, and it invites other people. So notice that, that Boaz serves her. He invites her to come eat with them, and it says he passed to her roasted grain in verse 14. So, so what's going on here? He is serving her and giving her a portion of roasted grain to eat. Think, think for a moment how, how loving this act is. 
If he said, hey, there's roasted grain over there, go help yourself, she would have been left in that place of, uh, how much do I take? How much is okay? I can't take too much, I, you know, but I, I'm hungry, I'm really hungry. He dumps so much roasted grain on her plate that she can't finish it. He's saying, I want your plate overflowing. He removes that awkward tension that she could be in. He makes sure she has enough. You are poor. You're at my, um, you're at my mercy. You might not take as much as you need. I want to make sure you are blessed to overflowing. And again, this is very hard for us to enter into. Um, if we're honest, most of us, the biggest challenge we face at mealtime is not overeating. That's the challenge we face in our culture. Most of us have never really known food insecurity. This is a woman who has probably not had a full belly for a long time. She's never been able to eat for, for, for a long time. She's not been able to eat until she was satisfied. Now she's satisfied and has it left over. And he delights to serve her. He's humbling himself in that to serve her and to move towards her in that way. Um, and then he, he puts together this, this Hesed conspiracy with his other workers. And so when they, when they gathered grain, grain they, you know, they, they cut it and they, they gathered it into these sheaves, right? And Boaz is saying to them, all right, I want you to keep doing that. Don't be sloppy and just leave a bunch on the ground. I want you to keep working the way you're supposed to work. But when you gather these sheaves, I want you to pull out fistfuls and just throw them on the ground and leave it behind for her. He's inviting them to partake because he sees the blessing of serving. He's inviting them to enter into the joy of that. He doesn't care what his workers think about that, by the way. Right? He's not worried about that. He's inviting them into the joy and serving and blessing her. Um, in the same way, God has a Hesed conspiracy for you. We already looked at earlier, in love, the Father sent Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross, scorning its shame. He was willing to face shame because of the joy set before him. What is that joy? Glorifying his Father through securing his bride. Titus says, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for him a people for his own possession. God enters into a conspiracy to redeem you because he loves you. In fact, there's a great picture in, in Luke 12 that kind of harkens back to this scene in, with Boaz serving Ruth. Jesus says on that last day, when I return, I'm going to serve you. He's looking forward to this wedding feast. He says, I'm going to dress like a servant, and I'm going to serve you, my bride, at that wedding feast. Um, do you see the joy in serving? Who is God calling you to serve? Many of us know and have learned that when you have a life that is turned in on yourself, it actually leaves you empty. If you are living a life that's just about your own hobbies and pleasures and distractions, it is unsatisfying. 
Jesus is saying, look, this is how it, this is what a life well lived looks like. Um, and laid down his life in service and invites us to do the same thing. Finally, um, Hasid changes hearts and reaps rewards. So we've already seen how, how Ruth's heart soared when, when Boaz greeted her and speaks blessing over her. Um, she reaps reward for taking initiative and, and, uh, and getting out there and working. So the passage tells us that, that she gleaned an ephah of barley. There's a little footnote there if you've got your Bible open that's about 22 liters. Uh, it was probably somewhere between 30 and 40 pounds. So you have to picture like the Costco-sized bag of dog food that she is throwing over her shoulder and trudging back to Bethlehem. She was able to glean enough food for weeks in a single day. She had the confidence that she would go to a field and find favor because the Lord was going before her and it went beyond, I'm sure, her expectations. Um, so Ruth's initiative and Hesed pays off for them from a material standpoint. But what we see even more at the end of this passage is the true power of Hesed to transform people that this is the greatest power in the universe. You might remember at the end of last week, uh, if you look up at verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi is saying, I want to be renamed bitter because of what I've gone through. And she blames everything on God, right? We talked about that last week. But now, given this outpouring of hesed, her heart is softened. She's overwhelmed by God's goodness. In fact, when, when, when Ruth first comes back, she's got these questions, right? In, in verse 19, where did you glean today? Where have you worked? She's not even giving Ruth time to answer. Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She can't believe all this grain that Ruth is walking in with. She's overwhelmed. And then when she finds out who it actually is, she is praising God, uses that word hesed, his kindness, who has remembered the living and the dead. Um, Mara is gone, Naomi is back because of what has happened, because of love poured out. And, and this is what you need to see. This is, this is the most powerful thing in the universe because it can transform lives. It can do what nothing else can accomplish. And so the book of Ruth is really a story of resurrection. It's about God bringing life to dead places. About restoring a family that had been cut off. It's about giving hope instead of despair. And you need to see this. Where does your own life need to be transformed? Where do you need to see the love of God for you at work? Where is he inviting you to enter in? He is saying, the harvest fields out there are white. Will you follow me 
and show this kind of love that transforms people's lives and can transform whole neighborhoods, communities, societies. Brothers and sisters, this is the ultimate hope that we have. This is what is transformative. Many of us are deeply despairing about what we see going on around us when you're watching the 6 o'clock news every night. God's love in Christ, his Hesed love, is the transforming power that is the hope for the world that we're living in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for moving towards us. Thank you that you are a God who takes initiative. Jesus, thank you that you laid down your life, that while we were your enemies, you came to redeem. Would you warm our hearts again by the gospel? Would you help us to move out in love as you've moved towards us? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.